you know, there's this season from tween to early teen where we do a lot of inviting and unfortunately they might do some rejecting like, hey, you want to hang out? No, I'm on the phone with my friend or I'm doing this or that. And now it's the other way again. My kids will ask, hey, you want to play a board game (laughs) or, you know, do you want to hang out or go get ice cream? And like, it's really sweet to see that that relational piece where now they're inviting me. And and for a long time, it was the other way around. And sometimes I was getting a no. Right. So because I think the tween and early teen years are hard in that way. They're not always going to pick you and certainly not first. And we have to keep inviting and we have to keep making ourselves available, but it's hard and it can be a little painful. So having that come full circle is just so amazing. Welcome to Raising Adults, the groundbreaking parenting podcast that starts with the end in mind. We're your co-hosts, Dina Thayer and Kira Dorian. We created future-focused parenting to take families from surviving to thriving. So join us as we help you stop raising kids and start raising adults. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Raising Adults. We are so excited to have you here with us, our FFPs, our future-focused parents. I am Kira Dorian. I'm here in the laundry room. Dina Thayer, my amazing partner in crime, is over there in her coat closet. Hi, Dina. Hello. How are you today? I'm well. I've got a new setup. My daughter's back off to college, and I am now not on a desk, folks. I am officially recording on top of Rubbermaid totes. So this is full closet studio now. I'm I like how you got fancier. <laughs> <laughs> like as the months have progressed, Dina's situation has gotten worse. <laughs> Clearly I am downgrading, not upgrading over time. <laughs> yes, indeed. And thanks to the Delta variant, we are not in the same room like we thought we might be. Thank no, you, Delta. Thank, Thank you, Delta. Thank you, Delta. No, we are are still still separate. What can I say? Yeah. One day. One day, maybe we'll we'll be in a tiny, unventilated room together again. Perhaps. Perhaps. But until then, we We are are each in our own tiny, unventilated rooms. In our own, safely, safely tucked in our own tiny, unventilated rooms. And we are finishing out our three-week series today on the different phases of our parenting journey and what that looks like and how do we liken that to the framework that Dina talks about on the show all the time, which is I do it, we do it, you do it. So two weeks ago, we talked about the I do it phase. This is age zero to five when they're really like needing you to kind of do all the things and you have to lay all the frameworks and all the groundwork and you have to just, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. And then we move into those kind of ages of five to 10, where we start working collaboratively and more as a team and we're really doing it together. And sometimes you have to step in and sometimes you get to step out. And now today we're going to talk about 10 and up. Well, we're not going to talk about it. Dina's going to talk about it. I'm going to shut up because I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Haven't done that phase yet. Not looking forward to it. Um, but Dina's going to talk about those tween and teen years and how how does that parenting journey look and what does our role look like as we move really from being parent into being coach. Gosh, there's so much that happens in this phase. So we're, Dina's going to talk all about it and I'm going to look pretty though nobody will see that I look pretty because this is a podcast. So I'll sit here <laughs> and look pretty. <laughs> Dina, my friend, take it away. Great. Well, I think we should, as always, start with our why. And really, this is an interesting why. So we talked about that why for zero to five being laying the foundation. 
And last week, that's that navigating the world and those relationships and the learning about even how they view their relationship with you, right, as the parent and laying that foundation. Well, this why is the why. The why is this is what you get to look forward to. So you don't have to have a why for the phase. The phase is its own reward, which is fantastic. So why do all those other things? It's so you get to this part. And that is why enough for me, because (laughs) I will tell you the times I've been able to be in that position of having that front row seat, so to speak, at my kids acting in a way that I know they've internalized our family values, that they're conducting themselves in a way that is kind and respectful and responsible. It's worth it. And so I I just want to encourage those of you, I know that often when we have episodes about older kids, it would be easy to kind of tune out if you have littles. And, And we always encourage you to hang in there and listen. But this one in particular, I think is important because all of the why and the hard work of the how earlier sets you up for enjoying this part. And so, and, and I also think there, there are important things to know too about the handoff. So as you are transitioning toward this, which will happen starting in that five to 10 phase, it's good to think about how am I going to slowly hand off? And those are things that are worth listening to, even if you have younger kids. So that's my encouragement to you if your people are small. Now, there's just a few things that I want to highlight. They kind of fall into three categories, and that's kind of how your children end up being individually, how they interact with tasks, and how they interact with people and the world. And all three of these have handoffs. So first of all, how they conduct themselves individually. This is their own kind of internal compass, so to speak. Have they learned to be intrinsically motivated? to be the kind of person who asks what's next, to get up when their alarm goes off. I have one that's still working on that. (laughs) All of these things, this is them as an individual. And all that work that you do early on kind of sets up something in them that then they listen to that instead of you. And that is really important. So if you're looking for, and who isn't, kids who become responsible, who become diligent, who are going to be that person with initiative, then you've got to start handing off some of that and letting the chips fall where they may, so to speak. So just taking that waking up example, it's important that at about middle school, I would say, and you could even push this a little bit earlier, that it's okay if someday your child is tardy because you didn't go in and wake them and assure that they got out of bed on time. If they hit snooze, and then they dawdled, you can still drive them to school. You could still figure out how you want to handle that. I don't know if, you're, if your child takes the bus and they miss the bus. That might be a different thing. You might be having to take them to school. But starting to just let there be, hmm, that's what happens. That's what changes over time. It's kind of like that, that caterpillar going into the chrysalis. It's what becomes the butterfly when they start to go, oh, That wasn't so great. I want to do that different next time. But you want them to see that they want to do it different. I think this is one of the biggest transitions of this phase is instead of our voice saying, well, that didn't go very well, did it? Here's what we can do better next time. It's them saying, that wasn't my favorite. I don't want to repeat that. And that comes with this handoff. So I think why 10 and up is so important is, as you kind of hinted at last week, the tween years start this difference, right? Mm-hmm, they're not, mm-hmm. tweens are not as 
apt to go straight to mom. They might go to a friend first Mm -hmm. if they want to talk or they have a question. But they're also showing you a lot of readiness for responsibility. And so I encourage parents to capitalize on that. Don't wait till they're 16 or something. Mm -hmm. Start early. Let Let them fall down a little. And I think that can be hard because also as parents, you know, we want to make everything okay for our kids. And that comes from a really good place, Mm -hmm. but we've just got to. So for the individual piece, the transition is handing off some of those tasks that might be ouchy if they don't go well, but where there can be still maybe a low threshold of consequence. It's not going to upset their whole life. It's not going to ruin their GPA if they're late for first period in middle school. This is practice. And I think that's another helpful tool. Look at it as letting them practice because so many parents, if if we hover too much and if we helicopter too much in this phase where it's really important that they develop these skills, their first time practicing will be on their own when the stakes are high. Seriously. And that's that's where we see all kinds of fun things happen, right? When kids haven't had that opportunity to practice at home and yeah. let them fall down when we can still like kiss their boo-boos essentially, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what what you're saying. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I do really, I'd like to share one anecdote for each of these things. So my, my story for the individual part is around this waking up thing because it's really been beautiful to sit back and watch. It hasn't gone great with one of my children, but I can say, and I have permission to tell this story. So this one's about Mark, but I can say that he's grown to a place of really owning it in a different way. So it doesn't mean he doesn't ever make the mistake again. So parents know that too. This doesn't mean like, oh, they've, they've got it perfect now into, you know, infinity. No, there's going to be slip ups, but the way they respond to the slip up is so different. And one really key transition you can watch for is the difference between you having to ask what happened and them volunteering it. And I remember the times, especially if Mark wasn't at my house because we're a two household family and I'd find out later that he was late and I'd go, what happened there? And now we've moved to this place where he calls me. I overslept. I'm on, even if he's not with me and Hey, I'm on the way to school and I'm so sorry about that. And I've, I've already called the school too and let them know. So I'm not the one going Mark overslept. It's wonderful. Mm. So that's just a little tiny anecdote, but it, it goes a long way toward those things like personal responsibility, initiative. I took the initiative to call the school and own my mistake. I didn't let mommy do it. And that he's not hiding from me finding out, which also says a lot about the foundation we laid in the relationship. He knows I'm not going to you know, get out the proverbial baseball bat. He knows that we can talk about it rationally and make a plan for what might be better next time, but it's not going to fall down on him in an icky way. So he feels very open and saying, Hey, I'm calling you to let you know, yeah, I'm going to be late to school today. And here's what's going on. And I've taken care of it. So that's really lovely to see. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's so wonderful. I mean, it's such an adult move because we all do that, right? We do oversleep. We do make these mistakes. Mm -hmm. And what a mature thing for a high school student to be able to do. I love that. Young adulting. It's starting Mm -hmm. to happen, people. So there's also a way our children interact that is not just themselves, but how they interact with tasks and responsibility. And we talk all the time about the chores and that handoff, so I don't need to belabor that point at all. But what you're going to be watching for here is when they interact with a task that the onus has shifted from 
again, asking you things like, what else is there to, you know, to do on my list? What do I, what do I need to do before I can go out? They already know what are the things. And they're going to have this attitude kind of of scanning and kind of a personal what's next, what else? And that is a huge growth area for kids because their tendency is I did the exact thing you prescribed. I, I kind of did the letter of the law, so to speak. I'm done. I'm out. You said unload the dishwasher. I did. Bye. <laughs> and a really beautiful piece of maturity, I think, that happens in this phase of interacting with tasks is the willingness to say, is there anything else? And coupled with the initiative to maybe just see a full garbage can and take it out. So those are those are things you can watch for. Now, how do you foster that? I would say that does start in the earlier phase, but if you're coming to the to the game late, I actually encouraged my kids to come and check with me and say, what else or what's next? And then now they that's their internal dialogue now because we did it that way for so long. So I see them trying to figure out what's next or what else might be helpful. And it doesn't mean I don't ever have to say, hey, what do you notice? Because I do sometimes have to point out dishes in the sink or, you know, a full garbage. I, again, this isn't about expecting perfection. It's seeing growth toward the maturity of ownership of these things. So the handoff for there is encouraging the what's next, encouraging initiative. And then I think the positive reinforcement is really big, especially those tweens get pretty resistant to any constructive feedback. So it's so much better when you can just catch it going well. Oh my goodness. I love that you just took the initiative to take the trash out. That was so helpful to me. Thank you. That's going to go a lot further than them thinking, wow, almost every time my parents talk to me, it's to point out some nitpicky thing I didn't do right. And they're hypersensitive to that during those ages. And then you add in like puberty and the hormones and they are sure you're out to get them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the positive reinforcement is like, I can't overstate it. Like catch them doing it right, even if it's once a month, because that's really important. And then eventually you're going to see it happen on, 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 you know, without you being that person to kind of push the button, which is really a treat. So my story about this is about summer reading. So, you know, one of my children, we, our school has required summer reading and one of my children just chose not to do it one year, which was fine. I actually think this is another key point of this phase is get okay with saying that's a choice you can make. But then what happens, you're also choosing the result. So that's the thing I would say to them a lot. Okay, you can choose that, but remember whatever comes of that, you're also, you've also chosen by default. So I said, that's totally fine. You can choose that. But because summer reading is required, it is the very first grade in English for the school year. So hence, this child started with a zero and had to dig out of an F. And that is not the easiest thing at a rigorous school to climb your way out from a literal zero. And what was so great is in interaction with this responsibility, this child literally said, I will never do that again. It is worth it to read even though reading is not my favorite, so that I'm not starting the year in a hole with my GPA. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of something you would watch for. There's that shift, right? The, okay, I chose that. Wow, I didn't like how that went. <laughs> I am going to do that differently. Those, That's it. I mean, it sounds so simple. And in some ways, I probably sound like I'm repeating myself, but that's really what we're watching for. Can I ask you a question? Of course. How did you assess that situation? Because really, as the parent, you're making that call. You're having to look at, okay, if they don't do the reading, then they're going to get a zero to start and they're going to have to dig their way out. And you're really putting trust in them that, A, they can do that. 
right? Mm -hmm. And B, you're having to make that judgment call to make it look like you're not making the call, (laughs) right? How did you do that? And and how would you kind of advise parents to to look at those situations? Because that's a that's a really internal, a lot of flurry inside you, right? It is. And and it's some nuance. So I think there's kind of two layers to it because part of this is also the reflection on the parent part. And I think the younger the child, the school would even see it as, why did the parent allow that? You know, that it is on, on you yeah. as the parent. Like, why yeah. was that okay with them? They just let their kid not do their work. And so you, there's got to be some judgment about knowing the school, knowing where is it your call that you've decided it's fine if they don't versus, you know, those early years where it is us kind of driving the ship a little bit. Like this is the thing you have to do. Mm-hmm. So I I was concerned about that too, just kind of the reflection on me. And I think this would be when we're talking 10 and up, this, this particular example comes a little bit older because you have to know that the Again, we want to keep the consequences at the right stakes. And for some kids, a zero right at the beginning of the year is too high of stakes. So that was the second piece I was going to say is this also comes to knowing your child. Mm -hmm. Some of them, this this would not be one to just let go or it's going to have to really happen in stages. Like, you know what? I, I get that reading is really challenging and so not your favorite. Why don't we collaboratively decide we're going to read one book and I'll let the school know that we've chosen that and you're starting with a C or whatever, mm-hmm. because I know you can dig out of that, but some kids can't dig out of an F, right? So I think there is some nuance to some of this, but what we want to encourage is that if the decision is coming from, this is different. In my case, I had a child who really was like, I'm making the choice and I know I can get the grade up and I know what kind of student they are and that that was feasible. A student is just... I'm not doing it. I hate reading. This this is a dumb assignment. You have a different yeah. issue there in attitude and the resulting behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. That's pretty complex. So there's some reflection on you as the parent to how much do I need to intervene and knowing your own child because that just wouldn't that just wouldn't work for everybody and that's yeah. fair. And then there's also, I mean, this is where we've talked a lot about advocating. It might be that for some students, summer reading isn't a fair request you know, really is above their frame and it's going to be too much for them. And it's going to set up a situation where it's kind of digging in and maybe chipping away at their love of learning. And then that's not a good situation. So that parent might need to have a different phone call that we're not doing the summer reading, but here's why it's not good for my child. So I think there's a lot of knowing your own person, Mm -hmm. but this could be in a million different ways. It, It might not be a school assignment. It might be you know, I chose not to do my chores. And as a result, I didn't get to go to the movie. That was not fun this weekend. I'm going to make sure I do my chores next time and don't, you know, put up a stink or whatever, because this is as we hand off, they have to own what comes with that. Like I would say things like, oh, I'm totally excited to let you go enjoy that once your jobs are done. (laughs) Well, you choose not to do your jobs. You don't do that. That's more low stakes. And is it going to hurt someone's GPA and and all of that? So it's a translatable example. But I think you're right for that exact example. It's a lot about knowing your child and just their academic abilities and their frame. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that's the case for all of it, though. I mean, anytime as a parent, you're going to say, "Okay, here you go. I'm handing this to you. You are taking this risk and you need to be assessing, you know, how much how much do you hand over? And I think it gets more and more and more from 10 and up, right? You're not going to give a 10-year-old 
that amount of responsibility, like you said, you, you know, you, that's something that's going to come older, but you're using this phase of parenting to start doing more and more. You do it, you do it, you do it, you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. No. And I'm, I'm actually glad you said that because this student was a junior in high school. So the stakes are pretty high. Mm-hmm. Your transcript matters. Mm-hmm. So I had to know that it was a student who could claw their way out and wouldn't yeah. love it. So that's a that's a great point. But the other thing that you mentioned that's so key is as we hand things over, there is this kind of trepidation of like, well, let's see how this goes. <laughs> and and we're not always going to get it right. Yeah. I have handed over things and then realized it was a little too soon or it was a little too much. And I think there's something to be said for being that kind of future focused parent that we talk about all the time that can make the course correction and go, you know what? It looks like you weren't quite ready to handle this. I'm going to take this back for a while or we're going to do it together. We're going to go back to being collaborative. I'll help remind you, whatever it is. You know, I handed off not checking on you in the morning and you slept till way too late. So I'm going to still have you set your own alarm and work to get up. But if I don't see you by seven, I'm going to check in, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the handoff needs to be in stages. So thank you for mentioning that because I certainly didn't. And I don't know that any parent perfectly hands off everything at the right time. And sometimes we're too late too. We, we realize, wow, they could have been doing this a long time ago and that's too bad because <laughs> then we could have been, been delegating much faster. Yes. <laughs> Those are sad, sad realizations. So the last piece, and then I, I promise I'll shut up, or if you have other questions, since you're just entering this phase, is interaction, what a young adult looks like in their interaction with relationships and with people and how they navigate through the world. Another fun one to get to sit and watch, let me tell you. This one, the handoff, is a lot of we do it phase because it's slow. It's a lot of practice and it's a lot of modeling. They're watching how do you interact with people, whether it's a customer service person whether it's your friends, what are social norms for introducing people, making small talk, all the things. And there is a big payoff on this one, but I think this one takes in some ways the most work on the part of the parent because they're going to also butt up against friends or challenging teachers or coaches they don't like, and you're going to be helping them problem solve and work through all of that. Of course, to great results. But this one, it's it's a lot of work. So it's less of a handoff and more of a you're doing it alongside them and you start to notice, oh, they're holding their own in this conversation or whatever it might be. They're just they kind of take the baton less less of like, here, throw you in the deep end and hope it goes OK. It's, hey, this time we're at a dinner party and you're not going to maybe stand right by my side. I'm watching you choose to mingle. Cool. Right. So that's really fun. And we are I'm just actually starting to see this with both of my kids. And that's because my oldest Sienna is super friendly and awesome, but she's more introverted. So the social norms of chit chat and whatever, not for her. She'd rather go deep with a few people than shallow with lots of people. So I'm getting to kind of see that. And, and then Mark total social butterfly and loves people, but doesn't always want to be bothered with the formalities and just the way things should be done. He just wants to float around. So it's really, it's really great to kind of see both of them coming into their own on this. And we recently had a situation where I got to watch them both do it. And I was like, what in the world? We had friends over that we hadn't seen in over a year because hashtag pandemic. (laughs) And 
my daughter was home from college, but she was up in her room and my son wasn't even home. And I actually asked them both, texted Mark because he wasn't home and asked Sienna, you know, could you come down and at least say hello to our friends? And I asked Mark, could you please stop by? And it was amazing because I'm, I'm going to be honest, this was a place where they exceeded my expectations. Sometimes as a parent, that happens. It's amazing. I My expectation was they would do exactly that. They would come, they'd say hello. They'd maybe say, it's nice to see you again after so long. I was thinking three to five minutes, make an appearance, let our friends ask them about school or such. And that's it. Sienna proceeded to stay, pull up a chair, sat, talked for like half an hour. It was amazing. And yes, they asked her about college and all those things, but she also was asking them questions. Oh, wow. And then Mark stopped by and he came outside. We were out on the deck or on the patio and he pulls up a chair and proceeds to chat. And then Sienna said, I'm going to head up and finish what I was doing. And Mark stayed. A lot of times he's very, oh, sister's leaving. I'm going. And he stayed and continued to talk and engage. And again, where I was really impressed was the volleying. My kids are polite and kind to answer questions. I'm starting to see the, and what about you? And Mm. that is so nice because there is, they actually did that when they were younger. And then there's this season, I hate to break it to you, but often in middle teen years where it kind of goes away, they get really selfish again. And they're like, not even thinking. And how was your day? No. So I saw that kind of go away for a while and it's back and it's just... Oh, it was just, I mean, really, I I circled back with them later and just said, I want you to know I was really impressed with your interactions with our friends. And I just thought they went above and beyond. So that's such a treat to see. The other thing you can look forward to is the relationship you have with your kids starting to shift because, you know, there's this season from tween to early teen where we do a lot of inviting and unfortunately they might do some rejecting like, Hey, you want to hang out? No, I'm on the phone with my friend or I'm doing this or that. And now it's the other way again. My kids will ask, hey, you want to play a board game? (laughs) Or, you know, do you want to hang out or go get ice cream? And like, I'm moving into this beautiful season where my kids have jobs and even sometimes they'll pay. Whoa. Delightful. (laughs) So it's really sweet to see that, that relational piece where now they're inviting me. And and for a long time, it was the other way around. And sometimes I was getting a no, right? So because I think the tween and early teen years are hard in that way. They're not always going to pick you and certainly not first. Yeah. And we have to keep inviting and we have to keep making ourselves available, but it's hard and it can be a little painful. So having that come full circle is just so amazing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you can be coaching toward is handling when a situation isn't your favorite. Cause like our friends, at least we're comfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's awkward things too. And I think starting probably in, even in grade school, can talk about what happens if someone, you know, has a party and almost no one comes, but you're there. Mm-hmm. Or you've had a really hard conversation with a friend and you don't know really how to rebuild. Or you've had to ask about a grade you didn't like with your teacher and actually they didn't respond very well and didn't change your grade, but you've got to go and be gracious and get back into that class and know how to advocate for yourself if you feel you are being singled out. So you get some of the awkward and challenging ones. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of coaching. I love this part. I know a lot of people go, oh, the teen years, I'm dreading it. But I have loved it. And I think it's because the hard work starts to pay off big here Yeah, and doesn't mean there's not hiccups and bumps. And, and I think the hard is in a lot of ways, a lot harder in this phase because it's really big things. It's not a diaper blowout. You tried alcohol and didn't tell me, or you didn't come home all night and I didn't know where you were and I was scared or, 
you know, it, there's big, big, big repercussions for some of the things that can flub in this season, but the payoff is also huge. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm excited for all of you who haven't done this yet. <laughs> it's super fun. And if you're a future focused parent, you're going to get to see your hard work before your eyes coming to fruition. And wow, look at the people, look at these people. And I helped do that. I mean, it's just, it's just the best to, to even say I had any small role in what, what they've become is incredible. That's awesome. I love that. I, I, that helps me. I've got like the tiniest little taste now that I have these 10 year olds in my house and they are tweens. They are the full extent of tweenies to the point where this morning, one of them, we were talking about a situation that might happen at school today. And I was like, well, hey, like, let's pretend I'll be so-and-so and you be, and you tell me what you'd say. And I got full blown, mom threw themselves on the ground, feet overhead in frustration. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, this is what it's going to be. So it's nice to know that maybe 16, 17, 18, <laughs> When they're no longer hopefully throwing their head, their feet over their head in frustration with me, um, that the we ten year old version of the toddler flailing. Literally, it was literally the ten year old version of that. Um, yeah, the little glimpses I've had of some of the the typical teen stuff has been really not fun. But the glimpses I've had of what you're describing, those payoffs are, are also amazing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like with yeah. the all of parenting, right? It's a mixed <laughs> it bag. Is. It is. You have to hang on to the good moments. And I feel like the scales really start to tip. And then there's a lot more great moments and a few big hard ones yeah. in this phase. I but it. it's it's great. And I have, in, in lieu of a quote today, I have uh, just some fun stats to share with our audience. Because if you are future focused, even if it's only in your parenting, even if you'd say, hey, in general, as a person, I'm more like spontaneous and whatever. But even if you're a future focused parent, I think you'll like what I found. There is a study that was just completed recently about planners and people who plan ahead. And what they found was really intriguing. So they talked to 2000 people who either describe themselves as planners or procrastinators. And if we're being future focused in our parenting, we are doing some planning, at least around the parenting. So they actually found planners tend to be happier, healthier, less stressed, and have more money. So a few (laughs) quick stats on that. Planners are more likely to do big things early, like their taxes or shopping for the holidays, and then they're less stressed while doing them because they've got plenty of time to finish. Planners have more free time. So 52% said they have a great social life and 44% have enough time for themselves. And each of those were 13 points higher than the procrastinators. Planners also tend to have a healthier family dynamic. Oh, future-focused parents with your parental unity. 79% said their relationships are strong. Planners are more likely to feel confident, 68% of them, and more likely to be financially secure, 49% versus only 33% of the procrastinators. What's really cool is over 90% of planners feel respected and admired by their friends, their kids, and their coworkers. So I think if you are working to be a planner, even if it's only in this one area, those are kind of some fun and encouraging stats that you can be happy and healthy and financially stable. (laughs) I just, I I actually shared it with Kira right when I found it a few weeks ago. I was like, this is amazing. It's so validating. I'm going to share it with my husband immediately. (laughs) I'm sure he finds some of my planning quite annoying. 
Well, thank you for sharing all of that with listeners today. And listeners, I hope that you found today as useful as I did and also just the whole series to just put in perspective what Dina and I talk about all the time and how does this break down and what do each of these phases look like for us, for our kids? What can we expect? How do we how do we crush it in these different phases and where are the areas where we might find ourselves falling down? Because we're going to do that too. If you like the show, friends, let me tell you, if you like the show, we would be so grateful if you would become a member. It is $5. We are actually changing our membership to just $5. That's it. And it's a way of sponsoring and helping our show. It's literally how we pay for the show. And so if you like the content and you want to hear more of it, please consider joining us $5 a month to say, hey, we value we value what you're putting out there in the world. It's worth 5 bucks a month to us. You can become a member by going to futurefocusedparenting.com. Click on the membership tab. It'll be right there and you can join us. And we'd be so grateful if you do. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Future Focused Parenting, and make sure you hit that follow button on your podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for being with us today, and we very much look forward to being back with you next week. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded partially in my laundry room, partially in Dina's coat closet on Tupperware Totes. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee and editing by the amazing Allison Preisinger. Thanks for listening.